This is the future. And humanity is all but extinct. First they start skipping prescribed drug dosages. Then they begin touching. I volunteer as tribute! You can stop this. You can change things. I know that there's something more. Then we've only got one choice. We fight. Fight the future with Dan and Paul. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fight the Future. I am Paul. I'm Dan. And joining us this week is Tally. Hello. Yes, actually, Tally from the book. <laughs> yes, we we have gone into the book and uh, retrieved the main character to be on this podcast. Good get, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> What's with this world? Everyone is so ugly. I can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, you know, we were we were talking about getting somebody to do this podcast with us, and I thought that uh, Tally would be a good person to do this. And I didn't actually make the connection between the names until like five minutes afterwards. I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's, <laughs> that's weird. So like, I, you, you were not, I, I mean, maybe it was like a subconscious thing that uh -huh. I was thinking, you know, thinking about Tally, but the, uh, that, that was not actually like the main reason why we brought you in, that you happen <laughs> to have the same name as the hero. Yeah. So who is this person, Paul? You brought into our podcast <laughs> tally is a <laughs> friend of mine who uh she's in vancouver now but used to be living in victoria and somebody who from uh, what i understand has experienced being a 16 year old girl at some point i tried to forget but yes it did happen once upon a time <laughs> i've seen her in various videos loading ready run especially desert bus for hope yep yep a lot of a uh, lot of work on Desert Bus. She handles all of the awesome crafts and stuff for Desert Bus, and uh, also in mini videos, and has written at least one video for us. So, singer, performer, writer, comedian, crafts person, crafts person. Yeah, and of course, uh, with the crafting Crafters. stuff, you are semi-professional crafter. Yes, people occasionally pay me for it, so I guess that that would be semi-professional. Uh -huh. <laughs> And her stuff is like unbelievable too. Well, yeah. thank you. I feel like this whole um, summation of what I do sums up to gets bored easily, needs constant <laughs> projects. <laughs> well, try not to check out too much during the podcast. Okay, I'll try to avoid crafting five different things while I talk. <laughs> I mean, that, that's actually, that's an interesting idea is that in the world of uglies, crafting isn't really a thing because everything is just made for you. Yeah. I was thinking about what Pretty's music would sound like. Ooh. And it was like, oh, yeah, it would totally sound just like Kesha or something. You know, just like the current top 40 music. Uh, at one point, there's a drum machine that goes by. It sounds like almost like Dr. Susian, like a big thing walking by with drums all over it, bashing. <laughs> oh, my stuff. gosh. That is the perfect, like, illustration of what I see in my head for, for New Pretty Town, I think, is this combination of mardi gras disneyland and dr seuss <laughs> colorful and loud and active and yet oddly boring and monotone at the same time <laughs> nice yeah. just to let you know we will be spoiling everything that happens in uglies and in the hope for the future section we will be going into the sequel pretties 
and maybe even a little bit into uh, the third book extras. Or no, the third book is specials. All right, well, let's get going on the plot. The story. In a world, <laughs> in a world where everyone is beautiful. So this is a world where uh, you grow up uh, normally as far as your genetic and physical makeup. And then when you are 16, you get a operation, a full body um, cosmetic surgery that makes you beautiful in generic what we have been programmed by thousands of years of evolution to think is beautiful terms of beauty. And uh, you are separated in this world. So you have the young little kids, the littlies living with their parents. And then when you get to be 12, you go and live in a dorm with all the other uglies who are the 12 to 16 year olds. When you're 16, you get the operation on your 16th birthday. And then you get to go and live in New Pretty Town with all of the other probably 16 to like 18, 25 ish, not sure, uh, kids who are newly beautiful. And basically you just party all the time, enjoying being gorgeous and apparently having nothing else to do. The main character is a girl named Tally who is waiting for her 16th birthday. She has almost reached her 16th birthday. All of her friends have turned 16 before her. And so the story basically starts off with Tally waiting to have this operation and join her friends and be pretty and join that whole, whole new world <laughs> waiting for her over in New Pretty Town. In particular, there's a guy named Paris who it's one of these uh, relationships where they were friends for a very long time. But it's clear that there's uh, something a little deeper going on there. Mm -hmm. But he was a little, I think, six months older than her. And so he's already turned into a pretty. And old, uh, uglies aren't allowed to go over to the pretty side of the river. And so uh, she's been by herself sort of for a little while and longing to go over there. And he, he said that he would write. He said that he would visit her. But since he got pretty and went over to Pretty Town... She hasn't seen him. He seems to have forgotten his promise. Tally and Paris used to go across the river and sneak into a new pretty town, kind of mess with people or, or spy on them, I guess. So she decides to do this and go and see Paris, which is never a good idea, I think, if someone is not returning her calls to go and visit them face to face. But anyway, <laughs> uh, sometimes you can't really stop yourself. And so she makes her way across the bridge and into new pretty town puts on a mask that is dispensed by this big drum machine, big clanking party machine that goes down the street, and then sneaks into the building where Paris is and has a disastrous encounter with him. Totally yeah. awkward. It's like weird and uncomfortable, and she doesn't know what to make of it. And then, of course, she has to like run away because she gets spotted and she's going to get in huge trouble for being here. So obviously the next logical step is she bungee jumps off of the top of the building to get home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she yeah, she gets sort of chased up to the top of this building and then yeah, we sort of see a little bit of the technology that is available in this futuristic world. There's all sorts of crazy anti-gravity devices and stuff. She's being chased by the authorities who didn't like her coming over there and she hides in the bushes uh trying to sneak back over and she thinks she's seen by somebody. She sees a silhouette and then she gets closer and realizes that it's actually another ugly sneaking out named Shay, another girl who's uh, about the same age as Tally. I think she's Ex exactly the same oh, yeah, age. Exactly in fact. the same they share age. Share yeah. a birthday. Yeah, who's was also sneaking into Pretty Town, and so they become friends as they kind of wait for their operation. 
Yeah, so they basically like spend the summer together then uh, doing tricks, which is a lot of uglies, especially the older uglies, pull practical jokes and pranks and things like that to keep themselves occupied and amused. So they do tricks, they sneak out, They uh, Shay teaches her how to ride a hoverboard really, really super well, and Shay's kind of a little more adventurous than Tally, it seems even, so she kind of keeps pushing Tally to do edgier and edgier things like sneaking out to the ruins. There's the ruins of a 21st century style city just outside of this uglyville and pretty town. Picture decaying skyscrapers, rusted out vehicles on the road, everything like that. In fact, the, the people are called the Rusties. The Rusty Ruins is the name for the place. Ah, Rusty Ruins, yeah. And she's also there about a boy. So we find out that Shay has actually been visiting these ruins quite often. And uh, she was visiting them with a bunch of her friends. But... She didn't get left behind because her friends uh, became pretty. She got left behind because her friends left. They decided they didn't want to become pretty. And so they actually left town. And they knew how to do this. And they knew that they could do this because there's a boy who visits this ruins every once in a while who can lead them to this place called Smoke. The Smoke. The Smoke, right. It's almost kind of, you know, mythical, but this idea of it's this settlement that's outside of all the cities. So Shay tells Tally that the smoke exists, I think. And uh, even though they go out to the rusty ruins and signal for David several times that summer, which always kind of makes Tally uncomfortable, he never shows up. And so Tally kind of thinks that maybe Shay is making this up to try and intrigue her with a cool story and seem really cool. And she really likes Shay. Shay becomes her new best friend. But Tally has always wanted to be pretty. She's always wanted to turn beautiful when she's 16. This is basically what she's living for. And Shay has this idea that, you know, she's perfectly pretty the way she is now. She doesn't want to be changed. She wants to just run away and make her own decisions and have her own life. And Tally is kind of appalled by this idea. So when Shay comes to her the night before their birthday, the night before they're supposed to have the pretty operation, and says, I'm running away. David totally like showed up the other night. He's going to take me to the smoke. I am running away. Come with me. Tally is just like, no, you are totally crazy. I cannot do that. And is kind of brokenhearted by the fact that her friend is ditching her for all the wrong things in life. She disappears. Yeah. But before she disappears, because Tally won't come with her, she says to Tally, you know, I thought you might refuse, but just think about it some more, okay? Think about it really hard. And you know what? If you change your mind and you want to come with me, here is this coded message that will tell you how to get to the smoke. And she hands Tally this sort of poem, basically, that seems really cryptic and doesn't make any sense. But Tally assumes, like, somehow she would be the only one who could figure it out if she ever wanted to follow Shay. Mm. And then Shay goes off and disappears. Yeah. So it's the morning of Tally's big operation, her 16th birthday. And she's so excited in the waiting room that they say, I'm sorry, you have to go off to this other place. And they take her to what is called special circumstances. Only a rumor, even to the adults of this world. But it's a place where basically the police are, the thugs. The beautiful, the beautiful thugs. They're beautiful. They've had the operation like everybody else. But Tally describes them as there's something terrifying about their beauty. It's a cruel, Mm. harsh powerful beauty it doesn't put you at ease it frightens you they call them cruel pretties yeah if there was ever like a tv show or a movie or something i could never quite visualize what the cruel pretties were supposed to look like 
I'm kind of picturing Professor Snape in a prettied up version. And also, <laughs> oh, so what Alan, is, Alan Rickman is yes. what you're saying? And, and what is her name? The woman who plays uh, the White Witch in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Tilda Swinton. I was yes. just thinking about her. Yes. yes. <laughs> or like Angelica Houston, maybe? Yes, yes. Oh, uh, the guy who plays young Magneto. What's his name? Oh, yeah. Michael Michael Fassbender. Yes. Michael Fassbender. This particular cruel pretty is, is named Dr. Cable, uh, a woman who basically blackmails her into going after her friend and infiltrating the smoke, mm-hmm. withholds her pretty treatment until she's able to reach her friend and reveal the location of the smoke. You, you would think that the smoke would make it pretty clear where the smoke is. but So sort of reluctantly, Tally starts off following these rather cryptic directions. Yeah, she's basically zooming out into nature and the ruined cities on her hoverboard, having various scrapes that she gets out of. In any case, she finally arrives there at the smoke. She was supposed to press this pendant as soon as she got there that would signal them about the location, but things keep getting in the way, like mm. cute boys. Yeah, it's one of those, of course, she's like, well, I'll see how it goes, and if it, if, if I want to, I can hit the pendant tomorrow morning. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow, others. There's no <laughs> rush now, you know. Just see what happens. And she becomes quite sort of embedded in this community. The Smoke is this little sort of town. Uh, it feels very much like something you might see if you went to like a, a an old-timey town in the Ozarks kind of a thing. Mm. There's little mm. uh, one-story wooden buildings. They all eat together. Um, there's a there's, trading post. Yep, little trading post. You just don't get stuff out of your wall socket for free anymore. You have to trade for them. And there's a library uh, where this old... Crumbly, this this old guy, they call them Crumblies, is keeping all of these incredibly rare and valuable ancient hundreds of years old books and magazines, like physical paper media, and the magazines show what people used to look like. And all of this horrifies Tally and astonishes her. These are magazines like in style. Yeah. 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 Like. She's like, these people were considered beautiful? Oh no. And the the ancient crumbly that manages that place is forty, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she's actually working, doing honest work for once. And also David, who is the son of the people who started the smoke, um, and the legendary David who brings everybody to the smoke, he kind of sees something in her that he likes. They hit it off and he takes her into his confidence. And so then of course her decision about whether to betray them or not gets even harder. She also finds out that David is the only one who's, I guess, freeborn or whatever you want to say. He mm-hmm. he was he has never lived in a city. His parents escaped the city, and then he was born in the wild. And it's it's very Beauty and the Beast. I think um, she notices at first how he's totally and ugly. His his eyebrows are uneven, and he's got acne, and he's got this scar on his face. But over time, as she learns to know him and appreciate him and see how confident and comfortable he is and how he knows all of these things, has all these skills, she starts to shift her uh, perceptions of his physical self as well and actually just start to see him as beautiful. It's, it's so Beauty and the Beast. Just um. a little change. <laughs> exactly. It's Beauty and the Beast, except... It's normal looking person and other normal looking person, yeah. which is yeah. <laughs> yeah. that impressive. She a love sees story, herself really. as a beast as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they have this romantic moment and she realizes she can't do it. She mm-hmm. can't s- destroy the smoke by signaling back to special circumstances. So he even takes her to meet his parents, which is an important moment. They are doctors or they were doctors and they found out the awful truth behind the whole thing. 
that it's not just the body, it's the mind too, that they make little lesions to the brain to make people happy and compliant. So people are not just partying because they're pretty, they're partying because they're, they're dumber and less curious and less resistant. And so they ran away from the, the city and they're in smoke, not only sort of building this community, but also trying to research a cure. But of course, this totally changes Tally's perception of what it means to turn pretty and her desire to do so. She finally sort of realizes that there's no way she's ever going to hit her amulet or her, her medallion. Uh, and so she, she sort of ceremonially takes it off her neck and throws it into the fire. And then she and David kiss and it's all very sweet and romantic. And the next morning. There's hovercrafts everywhere. Destroy the pendant. Special yeah. circumstances is signaled. When it's destroyed, it sends out a signal. I'm not sure exactly how that works. But uh, but yeah, then everybody's rounded up and handcuffed and lots Subdued. of chaos. But Tally manages to escape, though. She cleverly gets control of a hoverboard and zooms away. And she hides out in this cave where David and she had had their first sort of confidential special conversation. And it turns out he's there as well. Uh, so they hang out there for the night. Both, you know, their, their world has sort of been ripped apart, particularly David's. He's just horrified. Uh, and then the next day they go to see what's left of the smoke and also to look for David's parents. And it turns out that the smoke is emptied and basically destroyed. They've, they've torn down, burned down everything, including the library with all its precious artifacts. They rescue a few of those artifacts that had been put somewhere else and they go to look for David's parents and they are not there. And it would indicate, signs would indicate that they were taken back to the city rather than killed on the spot. So Tally goes, all right, we've got to go save people. Yeah, the two of them decide to mount an assault on the center where they're probably being held. So they zoom back to the city and they actually figure out cleverly how to drop down on the roof of the facility and break into it. Special circumstances building. That's mm -hmm. right. Yeah, this is sort of a heist thing of them breaking in Mission Impossible style. Nano glue and jacking open the elevator shaft and jumping down with their bungee jackets. And it's all very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, they go it's in cool. and they find the prison floor and open it up and they, they find all the Smokies or all, all the people from Smoke uh, and are able to rescue them. Except... Shay has become a pretty and mm -hmm. it's changed not only her appearance but also her personality she seems very giggly and kind of vapid and you know la-di-da so they escape with everybody including shay they bring her along and they go back to the rusty ruins where they're hiding out part of the raid is they manage to make contact with some young uglies some 15 year olds and and younger who help to mount a distraction and so it turns out that they'll be the seed of kind of uh, the smoke movement, mm -hmm. encouraging more and more kids to come out to the smoke, make contact with them, learn about learn the truth about their city. And also, actually, during the raid, they uh, briefly encounter Dr. Cable and then whack her on the head. Oh, yeah, that's very <laughs> satisfying. They knock her out. But what's important about that is that Dr. Cable has a data pad with her that they steal when they get out of the city and are have a time time to sort of think for a sec david's mother looks at this data pad and realizes that it has info on it that will allow her to make this cure for the brain lesions that the uh, pretty process uh, provides so they can steal equipment and make this thing and it's it's just a pill it's real simple so shay would be the first experimental subject except that she likes being a pretty of course because she's got the brain lesions 
<laughs> and there's a small risk that this will turn her brain to goo as well. Yes. So it's so, not entirely because she is mind-controlled. There is also some uh, is self-preservation that. stuff. And, and Tally wants to force it on her, knowing that it's for her, her greater good. And David's mother essentially says, no, that makes us one of them. That's what they say when they give you the pretty operation and the brain lesions. I know that it, this would be better for her, but I cannot, I cannot make that call. That is morally wrong. We cannot do this to her without her consent. So they have no way to test the cure. Plausibility. So, this I guess this could be the big thing. I mean, obviously, there's sort of the plausibility of the technology and stuff, but the central premise that this is why, like, why they're doing the pretty operation, especially before we find out about the brain stuff. Yeah, because at first it's like, why, why bother, right? And and what we learn is that. They're taught that this is, at least in part, because they weren't equal. So if, if everybody is equally beautiful, we, we measure people's value as humans by their physical appearance. This is just an unfortunate truth. And that if everybody's made beautiful in the same way, then everyone's equal and we can't have that kind of fighting. Mm. Obviously, there are some logic issues with this, to my mind. But that is what they learn. And that's the argument for why they all get turned beautiful when they're 16. Also the same skin color. Oh yeah, too. I forgot about that. So so same facial features and skin color. That's, that's not emphasized, but... Right. It, it goes to the idea that like beautiful people are more trustworthy and likable too. So when you see a beautiful face, you'll be sort of in awe of it and, and want to do things for that person and help that person mm. and be nice to that person. This is, there's, I can cite many actual experiments that have been done in this in social psychology, perceptual psychology... Like, people really do behave differently towards objectively attractive people. Mm -hmm. uh, we mentioned it a little bit, but there, there's different generations of pretties. You go young pretty, and then middle pretty, and then old pretty. While you're always the most attractive you could possibly be, the sort of template for what you're supposed to look like actually changes. So when you're a young pretty, people are very sort of innocent looking, big eyes, very smooth skin and everything. But... There's a couple of times in the in the book where she encounters the middle pretties. And the biggest thing about middle pretties they always talk about is that they seem just really reassuring. Mm -hmm. Confident and secure and trustworthy. Yeah. You, even when she finds out that they don't actually, you know, they've got the brain lesions and they don't actually know anything more than anybody else. <laughs> it, it's kind of like between the, the physical appearance and the brain lesions that you find out later in the book are happening. It's like you take away people's ability and interest in thinking for themselves and everybody just goes by sort of gut biological instinct right. um, with everything that they do and all their interactions. Yeah, so they're actually made more vulnerable to prettiness and more yeah. apt to judge people on their prettiness yeah. by the brain lesions as well. Interesting. And you can see that, you know, when, when she at the beginning, when she meets Paris, just the fact that she is, you know, ugly, totally messes with his he can barely even really look at her mm -hmm. yeah she just looks like garbage to him um whereas she point. can't she can barely take her eyes off him not just because she likes him but they, they talk about this sort of almost stunning effect that pretties have on regular people well and everyone's perceptions of beauty are skewed way way to the you know one side of the scale you think about what we talk about magazines and and body image stuff does to us now and photoshopping like 
push that way further in that direction and that's where these people are all at to the point that yeah. like, a normal perfectly decent looking human being looks hideous to them um, yeah and, so. and it's a great commentary on the the kind of photoshop magazine vision of beauty because it's not beauty per se which can be somewhat subjective which can be you know distinctive like there could be imperfections like tilda swinton is very beautiful mm-hmm. but she's not pretty in well, that and, way and to them too asymmetrical is not pretty like everything needs to be perfectly symmetrical which i think to us now in real life that kind of calls up the uncanny valley right like that's not normal to us and mm. one of the moments that tally has in the story is looking at nature and realizing that nature which has had no help from anybody and has imperfections can actually be stunningly beautiful all on its own and this kind of speaks to her starting to change like she does with david and realizing that he has a different kind of beauty and understanding that you know that kind of beauty is in the eye of the beholder and beauty is also can be imperfect yeah or that there's more to growing feelings than just prettiness yeah there's other other things go into that mix and yet it never wears off like when she sees pretties even later on in the book you know they're still dazzling her instincts kick in yeah yeah, which I I think this is very real. I think that we all have this instinctive thing. And it's not like we don't respond to other types of beauty or attractiveness. But we do respond to that, just like we respond to sugar, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we can be conditioned to perceive things more and more and more skewed like that. So right. that's certainly believable. The places where um, I start to question the plausibility a bit are, one, knowing, as you do later on, that they are giving these people mind control features as well um Mm -hmm. it makes less sense like let's just assume that you can do that level of cosmetic surgery so sure in this world you can um but then it it starts to make less sense that they need to and that they need to do it to that extent because if you're sort of mind controlling the population anyway why put that much effort into making them look perfect and also this idea that they have that beauty erases like everybody having equal beauty will erase power struggles Right. And, yeah. and this doesn't really hold when you consider the fact something that we get more from the second book, things like you can go and have more enhancements, you can get extra surge, as it's called, to like get ruby colors in your eyes and get cool moving tattoos and like these things that come in and out of fashion. It's all about fashion. So they haven't really eliminated that from the world at all. And there's still the Wouldn't people that just who are make cooler. the small distinctions way more important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So th- that really hasn't solved the problem. It's really the mind control that's actually keeping everybody controlled and calm um i wish they hadn't made it lesions because a lesion means destroyed tissue which doesn't return mm. in the brain anyway i mean you you can repurpose functions but you don't get it back so the idea of a pill that fixes it is really hard for me from what i know about neuroscience to accept mm. i would have gone with something like they get an operation have like an implant that binds to their receptors that mm-hmm. clogs up some of the receptors and then the pill reverses that anyway the other place that this bugged me was they they go on a lot about how wasteful the Rusties were and mm. all of the resources that they used. And when you look at it, particularly again in the second book, when we learn more about the intricacies of Pretty Town and just how much they have and throw away and they recycle it. But the the resources that must be spent, unless they've found completely clean energy and totally clean ways of manufacturing it, this is not a resource light society at all. Interesting. They are living very large. I guess the implication is that there's like, uh, you know, some solar power or something. Like they talk about how on the outskirts of city of the cities, there's like automated factories and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
but that is kind of hand waved a little bit in terms of it's like they have they seem to have all the advantages of being more consumer oriented being more disposable oriented and yet they're still have the sort of moral superiority of being more environmentally friendly like they they allows the the forests to come back and stuff and i think part of that is that the population is just a lot lower yeah i got that impression yeah what if it's um partly that they're conditioned to to like certain things that are in narrow categories that maybe can be produced efficiently and and recycled they they love soy (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) if you only like disposable crap that your clothes are made out of then maybe you could make that process more and more efficient in the cities everything is you know whatever protein loaf soy grown in vat like pad thai and curry yeah lots of tasty dishes that are completely vegan yeah Mm -hmm. i was thinking you know there's the thing where she sees david and then sees david's father and is amazed that they look similar oh yeah that's a neat moment oh that's interesting i missed that and David's parents are like, yeah, because, you know, what makes people look like their parents are all the differences, you know, the nose being a little bigger or the, you know, whatever. And that all gets taken away. It is kind of an intriguing uh, idea that this whole society knows, to some extent, a whole bunch about biology and evolution, like how we perceive people, but like nothing about genetics. That's just not even part of the conversation. It's kind of bizarre. Well, that's true. Yeah, nobody's genetically engineered to be pretty. Yeah. It's all just cosmetic surgery of a very advanced nature. Yeah. I mean, it it is an interesting difference from a lot of other dystopian stories. Like, it's a very common thread in all dystopian narratives that you have, well, and in our real life, but that you have the huge power struggle. And usually the big secret is the big bad guys at the top are keeping down the little people at the bottom, even if the little people don't know it, like all these stories. Um, What's particularly odd and, and different about this one, I think, is that they're doing it by spending a lot of effort and resources, giving all of these little people what human beings in a sense, have always wanted, right? Mm. Not just changing their minds to make them happy with their miserable lot in life, but also like, okay, well, yeah, we'll give you all this wonderful enhancement and make you beautiful, which is a very different answer than a lot of stories have. But like, part of what makes a society work is people being less aggressive, less curious, less ambitious, basically happy to do what their society tells them to do uh, at every stage of their life. Mm -hmm. And that's, and, and people are not, working the angle as they are in the real world. Mm -hmm. And so they are able to live in this limited set of resources. It becomes kind of an interesting philosophical question. Societies function because we, as a group, agree to live by certain rules. Everything from, you know, the way that we operate in terms of buying and selling in our food and, and following the rules of the road and not murdering your neighbors and stuff. And obviously there are people who break those rules and those are occasions that are dealt with and punished and but generally you have this group of people who choose to agree to these life codes and these moral codes and that works imperfectly but it does work and we're all given the choice of not you can go live in the woods somewhere and do what you want you can break the law and kill somebody but there are consequences for it right so then you have this question of which one is better the perfect society where really there are never any hiccups but nobody's given the option to buy into that system or Mm. not or the Mm. imperfect society where things can go wrong but nobody's being forced into it right 
So ultra planned society, but one that's actually really successful and mm -hmm. really humming along. You know, the other thing that I wondered about, and it doesn't ever come up in these stories, but from my perspective of somebody who's always being very creative and doing lots of new projects and things. Now, obviously, I don't have brain lesions keeping me from doing that. But <laughs> I did I did wonder um, whether how plausible it was that you could completely tamp that down in society and not just the idea of people rebelling, but the idea of people getting bored. Um, I thought about New Pretty Town. I'm like, you know, that would be really fun at 16 for maybe at 16 for as much as a year, but maybe not even that long. Like even at 16, you'd just be like, I want to do something else. It would be so boring. And there just isn't a lot of creativity. We find out in the second book, like, you know, you can do glass making and stuff like that. So maybe there is an outlet. But well, I'm like, wouldn't people, wouldn't there either be like all of this contained creativity that would either burst out at some point in time or this huge instance of depression just because it's so tamped down? And that's where the brain lesions come in, right? Right. I mean, yeah, you're subhuman because maybe with all that ambition, all, all that desire to break the rules and, and uh, do socially destructive things, maybe creativity and art come from that. Oh, but I think it's still in there somewhere and can come out even if the the brain damage is controlling it. At the very end of the first book, there's that moment where they're hiding out in the rusty ruins and Shay, who like is really just this vapid, boring, like Snow White level vapid, boring, oh my <laughs> gosh, seriously. But she creates a brush. Like she's been so <laughs> bummed out about this camping out and living in the dirt and it's so gross, ew. And she's so proud of herself for making this brush out of like a piece of clay and a bunch of sticks that she's shoved into it and she's showing everybody. And I'm like, this is that excitement about, oh, I made something. I didn't think I was capable <laughs> of this. And that's where I see that little like, I think it's in there somewhere, you know? Yeah. Uh, the crafting impulse has not been killed. I was, I was clearly looking for it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we really do need to talk about the fact that there's an apocalypse oh, um, yeah. that precipitates this. You, you almost forget about this, but he apparently felt the need to show how we got here is that there was this break. It's actually an interesting one. It's that there was a bacteria that got into the oil, like an oil virus, mm -hmm. that destroyed all the oil and then exploded and then spread to other oil. Made it so oil basically like becomes you know like potassium or something. like It, it ignites when in contact with air. And so things collapsed completely people fled the cities it was obvious that this was not going to be a way to live and somehow at some point these pretty towns became built right that's a big dot 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 but uh, and by the way it was 300 years ago the part that i do find totally plausible is the idea that the human race will not change until cataclysmic disaster actually forces it to they didn't make the <laughs> choice mother nature said no screw you this is over or i mean i guess they had the theory that somebody had created this bug to force it on and then nature was like so you decided to give each other radical plastic surgery <laughs> and okay whatever works great working on a All new right. virus to just finish you guys off now we're done <laughs> yeah no nature's like okay you seem to be sustainable now i just do whatever you're doing in the, those cities it's weird but stay out of my forests work. we're good well, yeah, <laughs> stay out of my forest scariness all right i'm gonna argue on this one for in a lot of ways not particularly scary hmm. because Yes, it's horrifying to us as people who live with, you know, free choice and everything that you could have all that totally stripped away. But from the viewpoint of somebody living in this society, 
there's not a lot of things that can hurt you. Life is pretty good as far as everything is provided for you and you never want for anything and everything is easy. So part of me is like, oh God, the boredom is horrifying, but really a lot of things that you usually get in a dystopian future aren't here. Life is pretty good apart from the brain control. And like if you are following the program and not rebelling against the system, you literally could go through the majority of your life without ever experiencing fear. Mm -hmm. Like that's basically the system wow. is designed or social discomfort for so that, that matter. You are never uncomfortable in any way. Well, and even if you totally rebel, so like David's dad dies, but he dies because they're trying to do the operation and it goes wrong. Generally speaking, what we keep seeing throughout all these stories is if you rebel, you get prettified and brain damaged and like you get made compliant, which in a way is really scary. But on the other hand, I'm less scared of that than the whole, we will throw you <laughs> in a dark hole in the ground for the rest of your natural life and let you rot. Like that doesn't Things that happen. really happen in societies today, right now, in different parts of the world are much, much scarier as far yeah. as the consequences. Even just going to jail is, is much scarier than what can happen to you here. I mean, yeah. in some ways. Yeah, even with, like, when, when Tally first goes to special circumstances, the worst thing they can do to her is not give her the operation. <laughs> They're still going to feed her and let her live. And These special circumstances are described as being really scary looking, and, and they have this fighting ability and so on. But they're actually the least scary police mm -hmm. in any of these books or, or movies because mm. they don't... I noticed that there were people in the smoke who ran away. They didn't get beaten up. They just no. handcuffed them. Yeah. Like, in our society, if you run away from the police, they will beat you up. <laughs> in fact, they may kill you. Yeah. The aim of the controlling body, whoever exactly that is, is to keep society better than it used to be, to not destroy the earth, to live well within our apparent resources and means, and to have people live harmoniously with each other. Again, kind of like The Giver, and it's like, well, you know, it's hard to fault that motive, although mm. I can totally fault your methods. It's from idealism, yeah. It's like if you start at that being your goal, and then just kind of work your way backwards, it's like, uh, hmm, okay, well, I guess this is how we do that. No matter yeah. how I work <laughs> the equations, it can't make it work unless we do a few little brain lesions. <laughs> just a tweak here and there. Yeah. The thing that we value about humanity is the thing that also makes us impossible to deal with. Right. <laughs> I think this theme keeps coming up over and over. Before we leave scariness, I just want to read out one thing. I just wanted to read part of the description of the operation to become a pretty. Her body was going to be opened up, the bones ground down to the right shape. Some of them stretched or padded. Her nose cartilage and cheekbones stripped out and replaced with programmable plastic. Skin sanded off and reseeded like a soccer field in spring. So that's pretty scary. Yeah. You never would want to see that happen. Most of no. those procedures are actually available now. Yeah, it's just all of them at once. Yeah. Are they really? Because it sounded so crazy to me. I'm like, how much actual human is left? Oh. But I mean, all the like bone shaping stuff and better cheekbones and certainly skin replacement stuff. I don't think they replace all your skin in one big go, but... Wow. <laughs> Ugh, I am never getting cosmetic surgery. <laughs> How would they do? I am somebody who designs the amusements for the young pretties. 
Because you got to keep coming up with new stuff all the time to keep them interested. But the stuff has to be basically childproof, if not like more than childproof. <laughs> they, they have safety fireworks that they like shoot at each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they have the bungee jackets that make it so they can jump off buildings and all this stuff. I, I can imagine it would be like a, there would be a process of like, okay, I just came up with this really awesome new thing that we could do. You know, it's like this car that drives around and shoots confetti and all this stuff. And then you like build one and send it out and then it comes back. It's like, okay, somebody put their face in it and got hurt. <laughs> so we have to fix it. <laughs> it's like, oh, for, okay, well, we'll put a grid. Like there's just like a whole, a whole series of like trying to make these things. So they're still fun. But nobody could possibly get hurt at all. Yeah, I like the idea of all these extremely pretty corpses that are being caused by just stupidity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I am Tally, not Youngblood. That's such a stupid last name. My last name is better. <laughs> that is such like a Lord of the Rings last name. I know. <laughs> Actually, I kept thinking like it's such a teen vampire. Yeah, anyway, like somebody I... on the forum was like, is that even really a young adult novel? And I'm like, Tally Youngblood. Yes, it's yep. a young adult novel. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Dates Edward Sparklyface. Um, so I am Tally Heilka. Thank you very much. At 16. And uh, my 16-year-old self is probably quite pleased to not have to look like her 16-year-old self for the long term. But also you know, intrigued by all of these rumors of the smoke. And I think she actually gets up the guts to uh, go out there and check it out for a while. And, you know, it's kind of interesting and different and really like seeing more of the world. But I really hate pit toilets and I <laughs> really, really miss running water. I mean, we're talking about me, actually me at 16 here. Camping, yeah. not a fan really want a hot shower and a toilet that flushes so i think i end up after a while going back uh they talk about that that happens it does and i get my operation and i get to be pretty and things are pretty you know Mm. vague and i don't remember how much i might have liked being outside and doing all this cool stuff but i think over time especially when i get to be a middle pretty maybe i get one of those jobs where they remove the lesions and i am a little bit more able to think and i think i I regret my foolish decision of my younger self while also Mm. knowing that it probably wouldn't have worked out well for me staying out there. And I think I start to try and find some different way to get back out in the wild or live slightly outside the confines of what my society says I should be doing. But I think I live with a lot of regret and wondering. Basically, I don't make good decisions at 16. I just don't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they talk about in the second book a little bit how pretties who who were at smoke like are like really popular in mm-hmm. pretties because you have like all these awesome stories. They were the bad boys. Everyone wants to be your friend for at least for a while. I think also that experience then me coming back at 16 getting pretty and then having all of that attention and being cool probably would have been very very bad for me. So I probably <laughs> didn't turn out to be a particularly likable person. Nice. I am in a teenage punk band. Ooh. I'm a 14-year-old, and I found an electric guitar hidden in the archives. All of us saw this sign that was written across in sparklers as the diversion. Uh, sorry, the diversion. <laughs> <laughs> 
for the assault on the special circumstances that said the smoke lives. And some of us knew what that meant. Others had to ask about it. But there's a murmuring in the dormitories that what our teachers are telling us is not quite right and that there's a different way to live. So I actually started the first punk band, but not the last, bashing on this guitar. We can't actually access old media, just people are not that interested in it because everybody's ugly. There's some references to being able to read books and see old movies. Old punk bands in particular. <laughs> yeah, right. Joe, Joe Strummer or uh, Shane McGowan, for yeah. example. Nobody would ever look at those because they're not pretty. And so part of my innovation was, yeah, listening to all that old stuff, the people who weren't pretty, who didn't have pretty voices, taking that as inspiration for a new type of music called smoke core, <laughs> which is ah. inspired by the smoke, the idea of the smoke. And all my songs are about fuck you pretties and never going to be a pretty and down with pretty town and up with the smoke. So there'd be a bunch of us, little tiny 13, 14 year olds, even a 12 year old on bass, just making a huge racket. We actually get one of the rare prohibitions. So we take our act out in the the rusty ruins and start playing as loud as we possibly can out (laughs) in the desert, refining our skills. And we just come in for sort of stealth shows in the suburbs that is Uglyville and just blow everybody's minds and help to spread <laughs> word. I like, nice. is is one of your songs called uh, Let's Send Pretty Town Up in Smoke? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Doing all these concerts and stuff in the rusty ruins, you might actually hook up with the people who escaped who were hiding out in the rusty ruins. Mm-hmm. And then the music would become a genuine venue for escape, rebellion, resistance mm-hmm. you'd find all of the uh, locations where there's like this natural rock amphitheater to really echo the sound across the valleys and off the rusted buildings yeah yeah and then you know when you turn 16 they turn you pretty and you go and you're like what oh i, I can't remember the words to any of my songs i like music yeah i i now just like that uh light jazz <laughs> Everything is awesome. <laughs> Everything is awesome. <laughs> Man, what was that old music I listened to? It sounds horrible now. <laughs> oh, dear. Hope for the future. So now we can get into some real spoilers. Woo! Warning once again that we're going to be talking about stuff that's in the second and possibly the third books. So it's a rare situation where both Paul and Tally have read ahead, and I have no idea what's going to happen next, so I'm very curious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we should start with the ending of Uglies, I guess. Right. The very right. ending, which is they need a way to test this drug. Maddie, David's mom, won't do it on Shay because she's an unwilling subject, and of course then the problem becomes that any pretty, because they've been brainwashed, would be an unwilling subject. So how do you get around this? The solution is that Tally goes... I want to undergo this treatment, and even if I object to it once I become pretty, please do it to me anyway. So she volunteers. She volunteers as tribute. She volunteers (laughs) to become pretty, which is a little weird because it's like, hey, you wanted this all your life, and then you decide you didn't, but really in the end the device works so that you get to be But anyway, she gets to be pretty or has to be pretty, and then the idea is that they will come and that will be the test subject. And there's the risk that... I mean, it might just not work, it might work fine, or it might liquefy your brain and kill you. So there's some risk involved. Book two starts with Tally being pretty. And hungover. Hungover? 
Yeah. Yes, pretty and very hungover. Natural state of being, apparently. The brain lesions maybe don't do too much if everyone's just hungover constantly. <laughs> they're either drunk or hungover. That'll do it. And they're 16. Oh my gosh, that's like the worst. Right, they're 16 and they're drunk or they're hungover. No wonder they're all dumb as bags of hammer handles. <laughs> that's why Paul needs to build the safety features. <laughs> right. Into everything. Oy. Everything needs to have soft corners. In terms of hope for the future, the biggest thing is the second book basically just deal, it deals with Tally hanging out in Pretty Town. The big thing that we learn is this idea, you know, of this fuzziness that you have in your brain. We start learning that basically adrenaline sort of overwhelms the the pretty mindedness effect. Yeah. It sort of results in Tally doing a whole series of sort of extreme stunts. When you have adrenaline rush, it it kind of uh, gives you clarity. The real hope is that they still exist. They have recruits, and David's mom has made the cure. And then the storyline of the book is largely sort of seeing Tally and her friend take that cure and see how it happens. And in the end, the cure does work. And so at the end, the hope for the future is basically that we have this cure that works and that awareness is building because David's mother has decided that this is information that everybody needs to know. And so they're spreading the word. So increased awareness, actual cure to deal with the problem and the discovery that some people, to some extent, can actually overcome the lesions on their own without the cure. It seems to be with repeated adrenaline rushes or whatever you you start sort of getting back some of the faculties also and this got pretty creepy starvation kind of seems to help so on the one hand these books are all like bulimia and anorexia are bad like they've got this clear message that those are terrible things and yet um the main characters kind of do better because they starve themselves for like two months and i'm like okay that's whoa (laughs) (laughs) yeah so you know maybe maybe the punk band is helping out spread the word Maybe spread around the pills. Yeah, yeah. Pills at punk rock concerts, totally normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair right in. Make sure you don't take too many or anything. Yeah. The other side of the sort of hope for the future is that we do in the second book discover some even darker goings on of the people in charge. Basically, we find out that there is this anthropology project going on where essentially they have penned in a bunch of pre-rusty humans who've been there for, as far as we can tell, generations. Like these people are camping out in the woods. They believe in blood feuds. They believe that the pretties are gods, like the scientists that come to study them. They believe that these are gods. They have a holy man who's like the main guy that interacts with them. And yeah, like these are way, way back in in even from our current history kind of a thing. Um, And, you know, the tribes take turns killing each other in this ongoing revenge pact kind of a thing and this is basically somebody's giant science project they're these people are penned in they think the world is a seven-day march across in any direction and they're being studied so there's that extra darkness the implication is that basically they are creating this situation where there's you know they have this like blood feud going on there's you know it's an extremely aggressive society such that they can basically look at their brains and see what parts they should be, you know, messing with for the lesions. Yeah. Wow. And cool. and also going, hey, guys, so uh, this is our argument for why we should brainwash you all so that you don't behave like this. Look, we have a whole science experiment of real human beings, totally ethically cool, that demonstrate why the rest of you shouldn't be this way. Woo! It's wow. really creepy. <laughs> okay, what about at the end of the third book? Where are we at at the end of the third book? Uh, Paul, you can help me out here. As I recall, basically, Tally then gets recruited to be a special. 
Um, yes. Shay has gotten dark in the second book and started cutting herself um, as oh, a way shit. to like get that adrenaline rush and find her own cure because she's really pissed that Tally didn't share the cure with her in the first place. So, I mean, it really tries to bring in like every dark uh, teenage and, and later in life problem that people might deal with. Huh. But she started, she has this group called the Cutters and they cut themselves and she gets special dispensation to form this new part of special forces that I think go out into the wilderness and try and like infiltrate and bring down the new smoky things that are starting up again and stuff like that. And Tally joins them, or is, is forced to join them. Is forced to join them and again they're messing with their brains again. Yeah, she doesn't realize it at the time, but of course we assume, and I think you find out at the end, that she, her brain has been enhanced for, like, uh, lack of empathy and increased cunning and what you'd expect, right? Wow. So you've never heard this song before? No. It's always a good time. This is the song that I think is the most pretty song that I've ever heard. As far as the pretties of this book, so you can imagine them maybe singing this like on repeat during their parties. I don't know, like, I, I like a lot of dumb pop music. Something about this is sinister, though, to me. <laughs> like, it just screams dystopia in a way. Yeah, it is definitely something that you can imagine the drones in gray suits walking in lines and then this playing on, like, a giant monitor in the background. Like, do you want it to always be a good time? Like, philosophically. If there's no risk of it being a not-so-good time, does it even matter? Like, and if you don't have to try? Okay, that's enough of that. Stop it right there. Okay, so that counts as commentary, so we can use it legally, right, Paul? Uh, I don't know. All right, well, that was Uglies. It's actually covered a lot of ground in terms of various different growing up things, social stuff. Usually they concentrate on like one aspect of the society or of the process of growing up, you know, whether it's like choosing your school or choosing your job or whatever. But Uglies kind of went a whole, did a whole bunch of different stuff, which I quite liked. Yeah, but it was all filtered through this one, at least the first book, through this idea of physical beauty. That mm -hmm. was that. That's his thing. That's what sets his book apart, Scott Westerfeld, and and uh, I like that. It gave it, it, it. It's all through that filter of appearance. Mm-hmm. Mm I wonder. So here's a question I wanted to send around. Have you ever had that experience of being in the presence of somebody who is so 
spectacularly beautiful that you had that effect, that dazzle effect? Like, have you been close to a movie star, for example, some kind of magnetically beautiful person? The, the one situation that I can think of that comes close to this is um, I used to be a nanny and mm. I would take the little girl who was uh, two and a half to this play thing at one of the rec centers where you can like pay five bucks and they get to go and run around in the gym and there's music playing and there's a bouncy castle and all these toys and the kids can just sort of go crazy for like an hour. And I took her there regularly and there was one day that we went and there was this older woman and a younger woman and a little boy. I mean, the older woman looked like someone who, you know, might be there normally, average looking woman. The little boy, cute little boy, looked like someone who might be there normally. And then this younger woman who seemed the right age to be the mom was model tall and thin, long, long, long black hair up in this high ponytail, perfectly straightened and tons of makeup. Um, and she was like perfectly dressed and coiffed. Like she just looked so perfect. And I could not stop staring at her. And in large part, it was because she stood out like a sore thumb. And I was trying to figure out who she was. I'm like, are you the mother? You can't be the mother and be dressed like that and nail. Like, how would you have the time? I, that was the closest that I've come, I think, to an experience like that. Uh, this is a Loading Ready Run podcast, which means that it is supported by the Loading Ready Run Patreon at patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun. In two weeks' time, we're going to have another guest and the movie Insurgent. You can contribute to a conversation about the episode on loadingreadyrun.com slash forum. And I read that a lot, so check it out and post something about what you think. Subscribe on iTunes and rate and review. It actually helps. Our theme music is written by Bradley Rains, and the interstitial segments are by my friend Kiara Kant. So thanks so much, Tally, for joining us. That was great. Hey, thank you for having me. That was really fun. And may the odds be ever favoring the bold. That's Not as easy as it sounds, eh, Paul? Isn't, no, that's when you have odds, uh, I don't know. Stop. It's Stop. something like that. I did so much better when I tried. I got so much further with it. May the road rise up to meet you. Yeah, there we go. May the wind be always at your back. May the sunshine warm upon your face and the rain fall soft upon your fields. Until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. That's lovely. That should be our new <laughs> sign-off. And may the odds always be in your favor. <laughs> part of that whole thing. Yeah. It totally fits. <laughs> I think so. All right. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Ci vediamo. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>